Good morning. My name is Steve Odie. I'm the junior high pastor here, which means I get to work with 6th, 7th, and 8th grade students. And I'm glad to be with you this morning to, as we continue our series through the book of Philippians. And as we're going through the series and rejoicing of looking at what does it look like as a believer to experience joy and be rejoicing in the midst of life's trials and circumstances and everything that happens along the way? How can we deal with the real stuff of life and still experience joy? As all throughout the book of Paul commands us multiple times repeatedly to rejoice or be joyful, how does that really work? And today we're looking at incomplete and rejoicing. How can we be joyful when life just isn't quite the way we wanted it to be, when things feel like they're not well, completed yet? How, does, how do we get there? A few weeks ago, um, I had to head out of town for a ministry conference, uh, so I drove up to the airport, and because it was during the partial government shutdown, so I figured I'll arrive early to make sure there's no issues. So I got there and sailed through security, and... Um, had some time to kill, so I went to, to find a quiet corner. I had a book I, I was looking forward to starting, so I got there and found a good spot and, and started reading. And it came time to, uh, maybe five or ten minutes before, uh, it was time to start boarding the plane, so I got up and started making my way back uh, to my gate. And my phone rang, and I took it out, and I looked at it, and it's one of those numbers you don't recognize, and I figured it was probably, you know, Lori telling me, there's not a problem with your credit card, but please call us immediately. But I decided to answer it anyway, and, um, and, it, and it's a good thing I did because it was the airline. And I thought, ooh, that's never, ever a good sign. So uh, I talked with them and they said, hey, we've been trying to get a hold of you. Apparently, I was so engrossed in the book, they had paged me over the system and I, airline, and I had missed it. Um, and they wanted to talk to me because they had some really great news that the flight was oversold. I'm like, awesome, that's fantastic. But they had looked at my travel schedule and they figured, you know, it looks like he has some flexibility. We can put him on a later flight and still get him to where he needs to go. So, they wanted, so I went to the, the desk and had, the, had that conversation. And it was like, okay, I could, you get me there like an, like an hour after I was scheduled to arrive. Not a big deal. I had the flexibility, so I said, I'll do it. But the trade-off meant I had about six hours to kill in the airport at that point. Um, so... I thought, okay, well, I've got a book I want to read. So I went to the deepest, darkest corner of Terminal 2 at the airport that I could find where I thought, nobody's going to bother me. I'm going to get this thing knocked out. It's going to be great. And I got about three pages in, in my new corner away in the back of the terminal. About three pages in, my phone rings again, and it's the same number. I'm like, what now? So I answer it, and they said, Mr. Odie, good news. Someone didn't show up for the flight, so we have a seat for you but the plane is boarded. You need to get here now. Like, okay, so I throw everything in my bag. And I, if, if you've, so I've never had the experience where I've had to dash through an airport before. I have all kinds of compassion for those people now. I've always wondered, like, what's their story? Why are they, they not just plan well? No, they maybe out of their control. So, so I'm huffing off and running through the airport. And I finally, get back to the gate and I go up to the information center and they said, great, here you go. So they send me over to the, the jetway, which the door is closed. I'm like, it's not a good sign. And they say, door's closed, you're not getting on. So I go back over here and I go to the, the information desk and these delightful two ladies say, oh yes, you're, you have a seat, go. So I go back over here. Uh-uh, not getting on. Four or five times I go back and forth. I'm like, 
Come on. And meanwhile, there's a line of people, since the flight was oversold, there's a line of people, some of them angry because they just got booted from the flight, and they're sitting there at the gate while these two ladies are trying to get my... And at this point, I don't want to get on the plane anyway. And here's why. The plane's been sitting at the gate for probably 15 or 20 minutes past the departure time. I don't want to be that one guy who walks on the plane. You're all waiting for me. That's going to be a long plane ride. I'm like, I do not want that. So they end up saying, I'm so sorry, you don't have a seat. We don't know what happened. And they're just falling all all over themselves, apologizing. I feel so bad. And I said, it's okay. I'm actually thankful. And their jaws hit the ground. And they said, how in the world are you? And there's there's all these angry customers that are now listening to this conversation. And they said, no, it's, it's, it's really okay. You see, I'm a pastor here in St. Louis. And in a few weeks, I'm preaching a sermon about... The journey of life, and I'm using an airline ticket as like the prop, the giveaway, and I'm talking about the journey of life, and I needed an illustration, so thank you. Um, And it was great. And then they got to say, so what's the sermon about? Which, I love that, because then, so I get to tell to these two ladies, and there's probably, I don't know, eight to ten other people listening in to like the 45-second version of the message today. So I'm like, what a cool opportunity that God gives me an illustration and a chance to share with people that I'll never see again. But that, that, that's awesome. But today we're talking about what does it look like to be on this journey of life and as, not just the journey of life in general, but specifically as believers, when we say yes to Jesus, we, we step over the line of beginning a relationship with Christ, we're on a journey towards completeness in Christ. So sometimes we, we tend to think of beginning a relationship with Jesus. That's like the finish line. That's like, hey, I, I, I made it. That's the starting line of this journey that we spend the rest of our lives with the Holy Spirit shaping and changing us to make us more and more like Jesus. So we are on this journey together moving towards Christ. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. So if you turn there, and if you're using the Version app, you can... Find us there, go, to, go under events in First Free Church, or if you want to go to efree.org slash Bible, you can find it there. We'll be in Philippians chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 12. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, and before we jump into the word, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for each one of us. Thanks that we can be here today, and I pray that you would... Give us insight as we look into your word, that you would be with the things that I say, you'd be with the things that we hear, that your spirit would be here, that you'd help us to pay attention to you and that you would transform us, that we would take steps closer to you, that at the end of our service today, we would each have learned something or been challenged in an area where we can lean into our relationship with you more and more and that we would trust that you would do the work to change us to be more like Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. So in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Now, as a runner, I love the, the actually, as a former runner, 
Um, I, I love the illustration here of like a runner leaning into the end of the tape and just giving it all he's got and just leaning into and straining and pressing on in the race. And what Paul is saying is, he's saying there's something specific he is pushing, there's something pushing for or pursuing. And he says in verse 12, he says, he hasn't, he's not arrived there yet. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. Now, the these things is really important because that's what we're talking about. It's kind of like when I'm teaching junior high students, um, I'll tell them, anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to understand what it's there for. Otherwise, you're like, I don't know what I'm reading. So in this case, the these things kind of works like a therefore. So if you back up and look at the first half of chapter 3, Paul is responding to some people who are um, giving their own message to the Philippian church and they're focused on worldly religious status. They're focused on like being in the right thing, in the right place at the right time and wearing the right thing and saying the, the right thing. And, and, and Paul's like, you've you, you totally missed the point. It's not about religious credentials. And then he says, oh, and by the way, if you want to like compare religious credentials, um, good luck. Because I was born of the right family. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Um, I went to the right school. I was a Pharisee. Um, and he goes through this long list of things. He's like, well, if you really want to play that game, fine, but you're going to lose. And then after doing that and saying, my credentials are better than your credentials, he says, credentials are worthless. He's like, this whole thing of me and my, my, my Judaism and the whole, pers- the whole perspective of having all the right things and the right letters behind my name, I would throw all that in the garbage because it's worthless. And it's worthless when you compare it to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. And he goes on to explain, has this beautiful um, explanation of knowing Christ and being close to him and identifying with Jesus in such a way that even in his suffering, you would, uh, you would be connected and related with Jesus and, he, he, and you're so known and united there. So he's, this is what he's pursuing, the idea of being so close to Jesus and just continuing to pursue him. So he says he's not there. And he says he's pressing on to reach this perfection that he says that it's like Jesus reached out and grabbed him for the purpose of completion or perfection. And Paul's saying, I, I joined hands with Jesus and, and he's pulling me towards this and I'm pursuing this and this perfection or completeness is the direction that we're headed. But he's very clear, he has not arrived there. And his focus, he says, is on the future. It's not on the past of all those religious accomplishments he had. He's like, I'm not focused on those things. I'm leaning into my relationship with Jesus and knowing him and this completion or perfection process that he's got me on. Now, I don't know about you, but the idea of perfection yeah, right? It's like the idea of perfection that I'm somehow, I mean, have you ever met somebody like, hey, how are you doing today? I am almost perfect. And if they're sarcastic, it's okay. But if they're serious, you're like, I can't be your friend anymore. I'm sorry, we're done. I have to leave. But th- I think it's because we have this idea that, well, we have a Greek idea of perfection because the Greeks believe that perfection existed somehow away from the earth, away from humans, um, it was actually a system of like a number of like imaginary spheres over the earth that the further away from humanity you got, the more perfect you were. So the Greek idea of perfection, let's, let's spheres in the, word, in the earth don't really connect with me, but so let's imagine that uh, you are hosting the big 
Thanksgiving, Christmas dinner for your extended family, and they're all coming over. So you do what every family does. You have the mad dash of cleaning right before family comes over, and you're shoving stuff in closets and under the bed, and you're getting everything set up right. And then you're working on the the dining room to get it ready for the meal. So you've got the tablecloth on the the dining room table, and you've got all the place settings, and there's centerpieces and candles or whatever, and everything is perfect. It's perfect and done, and there is absolutely no way you're going to let your three-year-old go play in the dining room. Because what's going to happen is he's going to grab the, uh, the tablecloth and start walking this way, and disaster is going to happen. You're like, no, it's, it's done, it's perfect, it's finished, and if, there's any, if any human enters the dining room, you're going to mess it up, so just don't touch it. That's the Greek idea of perfection. And I think the, the idea of perfection that, that, that most Americans kind of live with. But here's the thing. Hebrew good is better than Greek perfect. And here's what I mean. The Hebrew or Jewish idea, which Jesus and Paul are both, uh, are, are both Jewish, the idea of good is this. So if you take the same thing, it's a dining room, you're hosting. The idea of, the, the, the Jewish idea about the, the dining room isn't that it's perfect or completed before the meal. It's that it is perfect or completed during the meal. When the dining room is, when there's conversation going on back and forth and there's really good food um, being served and there's laughter and there's relationships being built, that is when the dining room is serving the purpose for which the dining room was built. Then it's complete. Then it's perfect. And the word that Paul uses is translated other places in Scripture as things like to finish a course, which he talks about here, to reach a goal, to reach maturity, to, to actually be in a spot where, where, the, where an, an item is fulfilling the purpose for which it was created. This word is used to talk about when scripture is fulfilled, that there was a foretelling and now this actually is happening. And the idea is that that, that kind of perfection, that kind of completion, I can get in line for that. Because the idea of what would it look like when Jesus comes back and I'm using my gifts and I am the Steve that God created me to be and you're the you that God created you to be and we're full, that's amazing. We're fully responding to Jesus perfectly. That's, an, that's, a, that's a dinner I want to be at. The Bible actually talks about that. So when you came in today, you received a plane ticket. Now, this is actually not good for travel. Don't take this to the airport. You won't get very far. Although I did give everyone TSA pre. You're welcome. I don't think that'll work either. Um, but I thought Spirit Airlines would be, appreciate, would, would be appropriate for a uh, church setting. But um, so as you look at this, let th- this is a reminder that we are all on a journey. There's a final destination. So we are departing. At the moment of salvation, that's when we begin this process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And we arrive, 1 Corinthians 15, 52, I'll let you look it up later. We arrive, I'll give you a hint, it's when Jesus returns and, makes, and sets everything to right. So this can be a reminder for us that we are in the process, we're going from imperfect to perfect, from broken to whole, and we are on the journey. Let's keep going in the passage, looking at verse 15. Paul says, Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things, 
If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. So what Paul's saying is, our focus should be on the future. Our focus should be on this destination of completion and perfection that Jesus has for us. But we're not there yet. And then he goes on to say, but if any of you is like a Christian Mary Poppins, when you say, how are you? Oh, I'm practically perfect in every way. I'm practically Jesus in every way. If, you, if that's your attitude, I'm just going to step back and let God deal with you. That's basically what Paul just said. I'm just going to, I think God's going to make that clear to you. If you somehow have disagreed on the fact that we're not there or the fact that we shouldn't focus on what Jesus is going to do in our lives and that we should focus on our own like credentials, either way, I think God's going to make that clear to you. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to let um, you and Jesus have a little chat on that. And he says, but we must hold on to the progress we've already, we've already made. He's like, let's not, let's not, let's not like back up or slide backwards. Let, let's keep moving forward and keep pressing on to where God is calling us. That's perfection and completion. In verse 17, Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. So he's saying, Here's how you should live. Here's how you should handle yourself on the journey. And, and here's how you, what you should do on the journey. So copy me, and there's other people who are copying me. Copy them too. Now, one of the things that's so important in our relationship with God is to have people that we can look to lead us and to, and, and to, to kind of copy them. And that's one of the things in student ministry um, and kids ministry as well, why it is so important to have volunteers who love Jesus and love kids. Because what kids want to do and teenagers, is they want to have somebody to look up to who's at a ne- the next stage of life or a little older, and they can say, yeah, that's how I should live. That is, they're, they're following Jesus, and I want to follow them. So I would encourage you, um, if you've thought about volunteering in kids or student ministry, um, lean into that. Look for ways that, that you can do that, because it is so important for the development of our kids, for them to have teenagers and adults who love Jesus and love, and love kids, and they, can, and they want to build that relationship. One of the things that we do in junior high ministry is we have high school students serve um, in junior high. And when they go through the interview, I, 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 try, I try to make it a little scary for them because I tell them junior high kids are going to copy what you do. They're going to copy how you dress, how you talk. The bands and movies that you talk about, junior high students are going to copy that. The way you um, carry yourself on Sunday mornings at church, the things you post online, the way you treat your parents and your family, junior high kids are going to look to you and copy you. And we have an amazing group of high school students who, they aren't perfect, but they're pursuing Jesus and they're loving kids. And that's, ama- that's a great example of what it looks like to have someone to copy, to, to follow, to imitate one of the things I love to do in airports is people watch. Anybody else? You go to the airport, you're like, okay, this is so interesting. Because even like going through security, there, if you just look, there's some people you can tell, I'm going to get behind you because you know what you're doing and I'm going to follow you. And there's other people you're like, I am definitely not going to be behind you. Because some people, um, when it comes to travel, have not figured it out. Let me show you a quick video of what I mean. Human beings, man. I'm sure you've been at airports with the moving sidewalks. You know the whole stand right, walk left concept? 
Well, for some people, unlearnable. You ain't getting it in, no matter how much stimuli you offer. I've been on them where I don't understand how people don't see that that's the system. There's a big yellow dotted line going down the middle, and it's stenciled every three feet on the sidewalk. Stand, 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 walk, 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 walk. On the handrail, stand, stand, walk, walk. Up here, stand, walk. Pictures of people standing, walking. And I've seen footprints together in a park. And you still have people riding that left handrail. It's fun to fly. Watch them close, because they're the ones at the end of the moving sidewalk. (laughs) Something changed. I was in the airport a couple months ago, and it literally was exactly how how he described. I'm just like, this is hilarious. Stencils and everything. So some people we should definitely not imitate. And that is the next thing that Paul moves to. He says, imitate me, but there are some people that you should not imitate. And for Paul, this is not funny. So in verse 18, Paul says, For I have told you often before, and say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they only think about life here on earth. And he's saying, don't follow the example of those people. And he's referring to these group of people who are so focused on religious tradition and uh, what they've kind of essentially grown up with that they have come to a place that they're, they're not focused on the things of God. They're focused on maintaining their religious tradition and their religious customs so that they have actually set themselves up so they're enemies of the cross of Christ. And I don't want to just zip over this, passage, this part of the passage because here's the thing. I grew up in church. And my career has been working in churches. So, and here Paul is talking about people who are in church or in, they're in religious activity all the time. And he says that somehow they have gotten things so mixed up and their value system has been so shifted that instead of being concerned about the things of God and their life being about following Jesus, that they have actually become enemies of the cross of Christ. And I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, hey, I'm going to become an enemy of Jesus today. That doesn't happen. But it is a slow fade from when our, our, our values and, where, and our priorities shift from being looking ahead to the things that Jesus wants to do and the things that God wants to do in this world and how we can be a part of that and the hope that we have in Christ. And it gets turned around so it's more about us getting our way so that we feel comfortable in our religious activities. And as somebody who's grown up in church, that's terrifying. To say, how, could, how did that even happen? To make sure that we keep our focus in the right place. That's why Paul talks about keeping our focus, forgetting what's behind, and straining into leaning towards what is ahead. That's a sobering, sobering thought. And it, and it starts with our perspective, our, our, our perspective and where we're putting our focus and where our priorities lie. So as we continue in the, in the passage, let's look at verse 20. Paul talks about, so don't imitate or copy those people. Don't do that. But instead, in verse 20, he says, we are citizens of heaven. We, and we are eagerly awaiting for, 
sorry, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So he starts with saying, our citizenship is in heaven. And if you remember several weeks ago, Adam was speaking. He talked about Paul and him having Roman citizenship and some of the, the, the privileges and responsibilities that um, could come with Roman citizenship and how Paul used that to talk about our citizenship is in heaven. And here he brings it up again and saying our allegiance and our identity and our, our sense of purpose should come from heaven, not current situations. We need to lean into that. Our identity and our focus and our allegiance is there not, is there primarily not here. And because he has that perspective, he can rejoice in the middle of some really messy, ugly, painful circumstances. And for us, the the answer is how can we rejoice while we're incomplete? It's because we're not focusing on being incomplete. We're focusing on what Jesus is doing in our lives and and the work that he, is take, that he is doing and moving us more and more so that we reflect him. That's why we can rejoice in the middle of these difficult circumstances of life. How many Marvel fans do we have in here? Marvel superhero movies? Okay, so um, the, there's, a, there's a Marvel movie that actually lines up really, really well with this passage while we're talking about seeing the bigger picture. Um, if you've seen Avengers Infinity War... Let me just say I'm sorry. Um, that was such a depressing movie. But um, it was a great movie, just depressing. But the thing is, there's a scene in that movie that lines up with what we're talking about really well. And I want to show you a picture from that scene. It's a scene of Doctor Strange. And they are, they're on the planet Titan, and they're, they're, in a, they're in a battle with the main enemy of the movie. His name is Thanos. And And Dr. Strange is about to give that little green glowing thing he has is the time stone. And he is about to give that to Thanos. And earlier in the movie, um, Dr. Strange had had a conversation with Iron Man. And and he had said, I will never give up the time stone. This This is like the purpose of my life is to protect the time stone. And here he is a little while later saying, I'm giving up the time stone. And you wonder, what in the world happened? Well, just a few scenes before this, um, Dr. Strange had used the time stone because when, when you have a time stone, the convenient thing is you can look into the future and see alternate possible realities. So he did. And one of the things he saw of like 15 million some possible outcomes of this battle with Thanos, there was one that the Avengers would win. And after he sees that, he says, we're in the end game at this point. We're in the end game now. And now his behavior starts to change. And he ends up giving the time stone away. And the reason he does it is because he has seen the possible outcomes. And he knows that in order to get to the desired outcome that he wants, this is the painful, difficult thing that has to happen. And as believers, life is so much better than a Marvel movie. Because here's the thing. We have the ability to flip to the back of this book and we can see the end. We know that in the end, Jesus wins. He returns and he sets everything right. And so that when we go through difficulty and pain and just really, really hard circumstances now, we can, because we have the hope of the future 
and what God is doing in the world and the destination that God is moving things towards, we can endure hardship and trial and pain and frustration and difficulty now because we have the hope. Even when everything is incomplete and difficult now, we have the hope of the future. So in verse, uh, verse one of chapter four, continuing on, he says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. So he's telling us to stay true and to stand firm. So we can rejoice because we don't have to be, incom- we don't have to be complete in this life. How we can journey from here to there is understanding that you and I aren't complete, but we can rejoice because our completeness is found in Christ. His perfection, his completeness, we can rejoice in the fact that that is the direction that he is moving our lives. We can celebrate that when we don't have it all together, he does. That's why there's a worship song that I love that's called Here I Am to Worship. That it talks about Jesus, you're altogether lovely, you're altogether worthy, you're altogether wonderful to me. And I heard a message one time that they said, you could just stop after you're altogether, period. Because he is all together. And we could worship him just for that fact, that he is all together and we are not. And if you are a believer in Christ, then you have this hope that I've been talking about so far. And if you're not a believer in Christ, this is a hope that you can have. Because you were made for a relationship with God. God made you for the purpose of knowing you. But you and I are sinners. Our statement of faith says that we are sinners by nature and by choice. That means we're born sinners and we also choose sinful actions. And that sin creates separation between us and God. It creates a barrier. It creates a wall that we can't have a relationship with Jesus. So because we cannot reach this perfect standard on our own, Jesus became human. He became one of us, and he lived a perfect, holy, and pure life. He never sinned, not even once when he was a teenager, which is miraculous. And his death on the cross and his resurrection pays for our sin, and it gives us an opportunity to begin life with Jesus by surrendering to him that begins now and never, ever, 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 ever ends. Didn't memorize enough evers. It goes on forever that we have this relationship with Christ. And the whole point is about knowing Jesus. And Paul in this passage is talking about how hard he's working to know Jesus. He's straining. He's leaning forward. He is pressing onto the tape to know Jesus. But it's so interesting that of all the verbs that Paul and all the actions that Paul talks about that he's doing, the transformation actually comes. The verbs in the passage that talk about transformation are passive which means for all Paul's work, God is the one that brings the change. So as believers, we do need to lean into our relationship with God, but we also need to understand that God is the one that brings about transformation. This completing Christ thing isn't because we've earned it or we've worked hard enough at it. It's because Jesus has, through the Holy Spirit, worked to transform us over time. So how do we apply this passage? What do we do with it? Well, Paul gives us two commands in the passage, and the two commands are this, imitate me and stay true. He says, imitate me and stay true. So how can we copy Paul? I think it's really from, as he talks about copying his mindset, 
of having the perspective that it's all about understanding the, the reality and the hope we have in Christ, that he will return and everything under his control, and that's the moment when we will reach the, the completion of the completing process, the end of the perfection process. That's when we get there, that we don't get there in this life, but when Jesus returns, he transforms us. So imitate him and copy him. And it's so interesting that if you ever meet someone that really does say, you know, if you ask them how they're doing, they say, oh, I'm just about like Jesus. Run. Because the thing is, if anybody in, our, in, in modern times could be described as like a Christian Mary Poppins, the two names at least that come to my head, and I imagine if I asked you, it would be Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. And both of those people, if you'd ask them, and they have given interviews that, that talk about how they feel like they have so far to go. And it's not about saying, being able to tell people that we've arrived, but it's about that we're in the process continuing to keep our eyes on Jesus and grow to him and grow closer to him. So how we can copy Paul is, stay, is uh, imitating him with the right perspective. And that's surrounding ourselves with the right people, with account, from accountability and, and, and encouragement, surrounding ourselves with, with mentors who can help us grow closer to him. And, this, and then his second command is stay true. How do we do that? How do we stand firm? I think the first thing is we pay attention. In the book of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Let us pay attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Again, it's not that any, anyone becomes an enemy of the cross overnight. It's a slow fade. So let's pay attention. Let's be in the word. Let's be in a community. Let's be in a small group that we can help each other stay true. So we need to seek to grow spiritually by surrounding ourselves with, with people who can help us. I think another thing about staying true is following where God leads. As the Holy Spirit leads us throughout life, it's we say, okay, God, I'm going to follow you. And in my own life right now, um, that's, that's, a, that's a reality for us as we announced uh, back in December as I'll be transitioning off of staff at First Free. Um, that's, for me, that's part of staying true. As, as God has been working for several years of like, God, what's, what's next and what does this look like? And has he, God's made it really clear about what he wants us to do is start a nonprofit ministry called Engage Family Ministries to partner with churches and families all over St. Louis to do family ministry. And the idea behind it is what would it look like if everyone in the family was pursuing God and pursuing each other? The answer is, that'd be pretty awesome if everybody's pursuing God and pursuing each other. But instead, what we're seeing is our culture is pulling families apart. And we're seeing that in three ways. We're seeing it with truth, time, and technology. That we're seeing an absence of biblical truth being taught and lived at home. We're seeing just a shortage on time. With our schedules, are so crazy busy. Finding the time to intentionally pour into each other as families. And then with technology, we're seeing it misused and abused, and we're seeing all kinds of issues and problems that result from that. So where we feel like God is calling, it, calling us is to begin a ministry, to partner with churches, to create experiences and programs that work in those three areas of truth, time, and technology. And believe me, the easiest thing for me to do would be to say, God, that's a nice idea, but I think that's for somebody else. I'm going to stay on staff at First Free because I've been there for 15 years, it's comfortable, it's safe, I know how to do my job. But for me, that wouldn't be staying true to where God's calling me. And we're, we're staying here, we'll still attend, attend the church and partner with First Free. 
But for me, this is how God's leading me to stay true to him. And it's an incredibly growing and challenging experience and it's incredibly life-giving and exciting. And I don't know what it is for you, but I guarantee you that there is an area that you need to stay true in your relationship with God. Maybe it's staying true in your marriage or your family or your job. or the, You can fill in the blank. But there's an area of your life where you need to stay true. None of us is perfect. We're all works in progress. And I'd encourage you to take this plane ticket. Again, don't, don't take it to Lambert. It's no good there. But it is good if you stick it in the corner of your mirror or on your nightstand somewhere where you'll see it every day. And let it be a reminder to you that you are in process. The destination is completion and perfection, and it is unbelievable. The destination of being with Jesus, and we are on the journey as believers. We are in process. And we can rejoice on the journey. Even when we're incomplete, even when life is difficult and tough, we can rejoice because our eyes are fixed on the destination. I want to read a verse from earlier in Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So this, this isn't something that we reach the destination in this life. We reach the destination at the return of Christ. So this week, let me encourage you, to copy Paul, to keep your focus on Christ and on heavenly things and keep your focus on the work that he wants to do in your life. And then the second is to stay true, to look for ways you can stand firm in your relationship with Christ and keep leaning forward towards him. And remember that in the process, you're not there yet. And guess what? Neither is the person next to you. So let's extend grace to each other as we journey together as believers, as we lean into Jesus, looking forward to the work that he's going to do in our lives. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for your, your sanctifying work, this, this work that you do in our life of completing us and moving us towards perfection. Thank you that we don't have to be perfect in this life because you are. And help us to trust you with every, every part of our lives. And God, as, as we leave this place today, I, I ask that you would remind each one of us. You'd give us conversations and experiences all throughout the week to remind us to imitate Paul, to have that view, that perspective, that it's the long, eternal perspective, not focused on today, but looking at today in light of eternity. And that you would help us to stay true, to stand firm, that you'd surround us with people who can help us to do that. And you'd help us to help other people stay true. Thanks so much for your love for each, each one of us. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for coming. Have a great week.